Well, the art of it is to not just take that fire hose and regurgitate it right as it came in. It's to give someone a glass of water mm-hmm. that's just the perfect glass of water that you somehow pulled out of this fire hose of yes, and then spilling it on the yeah. floor. <laughs> You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I on this so i'm guessing there's a reason why you played something by led zeppelin yeah well one time i was working in new orleans for my buddy john Mm. and he's a big bluegrass guy Mm -hmm. and uh not as in large but he likes bluegrass gotcha and so i mean all we listened to the whole entire time i was there was bluegrass and i was really into bluegrass at the time right also we used to do the uh, Doyle Lawson sing-along yeah. at Amnesia in San Francisco. Yeah, I remember that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it was, the, at that time, we were all into bluegrass. That's funny. That bar was like a hipster bluegrass bar, almost. Totally. It was pretty it was, cool. Yeah, bluegrass like was all, a hipster. We, we always went there after surfing or working, Yeah, and they were always playing bluegrass. The uh, Monday nights, I want to say, was bluegrass night there. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that they didn't play bluegrass there all the time, but um, that was the official bluegrass night. And uh, the best, just, okay, go ahead. The best band name, one of the best that I've ever heard, uh-huh. all time, was a bluegrass band that came out of the Mission mm-hmm. in San Francisco, which is kind of the like Mexi area in, in San Francisco, and right? super hipster too, yeah. and super hipster. And their name was Muchas Bluegracias. <laughs> not bad, not yeah. bad. I just I haven't thought about this in years, but I remember. Remember that heavy metal karaoke there or just karaoke? It was karaoke, yeah. Yeah. And you went on stage yes. with white jeans and a mullet wig <laughs> and did Paradise City. Yes. And the best part about it is number one, that the okay, oh man, I gotta paint the scene here. Is that song is he's got a crazy high range vocal. So you were doing it like falsetto. 
you know, take me down in the parish. Yeah, Paul said it the whole song. So it was like <laughs> a little awkward. Number two, there was no one in the bar except for like me, one other guy, and like a couple of like city workers who just got off work. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon, the sunny outside. A little early. Yeah, and so they're just kind of looking on the stage like, what is going on here right now? Also, I could tell that you had realized, you know, 20% of the way into the song, like do the songs like seven minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> have to keep this falsetto up the whole time. And so you kept like rocking out more and more with these city workers, like sipping their beer to go like, what am I looking at right now? It was, it was a, it was a surreal experience. Yes. It was very nice. Yes. That was a great bar. <clears throat> so anyways, so we're listening to bluegrass and every once in a while, a Led Zeppelin song would come on. So uh-huh. the, the mix was all bluegrass, right? Hundreds and hundreds of songs. And then, like, just sprinkled in was Led Zeppelin. Right. And John's buddy who made him the mix, John asked him, like, what's up with putting the... the this is back in the days where, like, someone would make you a mix. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. A mix CD. Yeah. Yeah. It was on an iPod. I, oh, you know what? He gave him an iPod. Okay. Full of bluegrass. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, he's like, what's up with the Led Zeppelin? And his buddy's like, you know, just every once in a while, you want to hear a little Led Zeppelin. <laughs> And he's so fucking right. And you just, they're one of those undeniable bands, which actually brings up a question that I want to ask you. Okay. But they're one of those undeniable bands that, aside from Stairway to Heaven, when you hear a Led Zeppelin song, it's like always the right moment for that song. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't really, you couldn't make those compilations that you and I made of um, the Brokeback Mountain um scene where you know then the uh, uh life is a highway right. comes on yeah you know led zeppelin it would almost just fit you know, yeah just about any led zeppelin i think song. led zeppelin benefits from they're just all over the map yeah i mean they do like calypso stuff and weird spy hunter themes like we just heard right there totally. and and straight up rock and roll music and yeah yeah so, I, had a, I had a bizarre just real quick i had yeah. a bizarre uh speaking of brokeback mountain <laughs> I was mentioning to someone. Go on. Like, wh- wh- <clears throat> and someone told me, right? How was your weekend? Ah, uh, pretty good. I went up. Uh, I was hunting. I'm looking for this bear. This bear up in the mountains. And I meet my buddy up there, and we we hunt a couple times a year. We stay at the cabin up there, and and then uh, in the morning we hit hard. And they go, oh, like kind of like a broke back mountain thing. And I just went hit it hard. Uh, weird. That's the first thing that popped in your mind. But to answer your question, no, just uh, hunting. <laughs> Maybe a little touch butt, but nothing more than that. I promise. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> brings up my question was, um, where do you stand on bands like uh, Wolf Mother or what's that other newer one? Von F- Fleek, uh, Greta Von... Oh, uh, Greta Von... I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, uh, we toured with Wolf Mother. Oh, really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Uh, not a fan. Just, it was just so, they were, they were super nice guys. They're Australian and I, I tend yeah. to like Australians. Um, they're really good live, mm-hmm. uh, except for a band like that. The drummer didn't hit hard. Oh, like, really? He was, he was a soft hitter, which drives me crazy in drummers. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just too derivative. Okay. Yeah. That's and the same, word. Same with the Greta. Like you listen to it. I was like, it's a good song. I was like, but it's just. That's the word. Yeah. It's just completely, you're doing this one thing. It's like if, if you had never heard of that music before and you heard it for the first time, you'd be like, oh, my God, this be, is amazing. Yeah, you'd be pretty impressed. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's just kind of sounds like a cover band to me. Yeah, that's 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 where I stand on that. So, dude, speaking of drummers 
hitting it hard or not. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it funny that every church I've ever been to, it's like, and it's the only place I've ever seen this. Mm-hmm. These things are made only for <laughs> churches. It's the plexiglass cage yeah. around the drummer. We, we, so we call it the fishbowl. Why? It's because they are mixing the cymbals tend to bleed into the other mics. So it's a way to isolate the other mics on the stage. And also drums is, okay. So when you play like most band, it's, there's a weird balance you have to do. So if you're playing guitar, like the way to really like crank the sound out of an amp, like an old Marshall or a Fender is you want to like overdrive the amp, right? So you have this natural distortion. Yeah. Also like you have this ear shattering volume coming up on stage. Now the guy mixing is mixing all the stuff. He doesn't want the stage volume. He wants to be in total control over the mixing the sound. So he doesn't want to hear any stage volume coming because yeah, that's also- called being in a recording studio. Why not just yeah. put the drums in another fucking room? It is. It's just clear. Exactly. And I don't, <laughs> why do only churches do that? Right? They, they do that in venues too. I've played venues before where, where they I, have the fishbowl. Yeah. What I say is like, dude, we have to, Run to the store, get some construction paper, and tape up a little fish around <laughs> it so it looks like you're actually in a fishbowl. That would have been a good move. I just feel like I've been to plenty of shows that were uh, acoustic guitars and you know maybe an electric bass and in the drums the drummer was playing with like brushes or something like right. where you can make it all work. Yeah, right. But churches never seem to want to do that. Like the drummer wants to fucking rock. <laughs> And the only way they can control the volume is by putting them in a fucking plexiglass cage. The world's a crazy place. What uh, you can do? I'll tell you, man. Uh, that being said, the the music today at church, uh, I just went with, with Junior because mm-hmm. Gertrude had a soccer game. And uh, by the way, there's no uh, Sunday school at the 815 ah, showing. Good, good to know. Yeah. And so I'm standing there with him and... Uh, they're, they're, the music, it's the, in the beginning, it's just music, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Church music is always kind of, it's never like great. Mm-hmm. But there was something about it today that it was really kind of moving for yeah. me. And I'm looking over at Junior, who's just kind of first experience in church at all, and just standing there, and he's looking at the drummer, and he's like, like doing the drum stuff, like nice. kind of air drums playing along. And he's looking at me and giving me the thumbs up. And I'm just like, God damn, this kid is like, it's really something. Yeah. And uh, I just started feeling this. Uh, I hope I don't make either of us cry with this, but mm. I just started feeling this. Um, I'm barely hanging in there today. So be careful <laughs> what you <Okay>. say. <laughs> well, I was thinking about you too. Mm. I was, both of us. Like I was just feeling in that moment, like, Somehow God blessed me with the privilege and the responsibility to guide this little being next to me mm-hmm. through his life. And uh, and I just felt so lucky and so privileged to be chosen for that because he is like a, he's a truly amazing kid who, I mean, he just, he blows people away. Yeah. And it's, yeah, he does. I don't take any like pride in that because I don't think I had anything to do with it. Right. I think he just came out of the gate that way. Um, and I just feel so just blessed and fortunate to be the one who was chosen to just be there and, you know, try to just kind of shepherd this amazing being through life without, you know, letting him commit too many, uh, mistakes mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, uh, I won't go 
too much deeper than that, but I, I was thinking about you mm-hmm. and your kid also. Like that, right. both of us are just so lucky uh, for different reasons, just to be chosen to be these these men that are are doing this thing for these these angels that that we didn't create. God created them, and we just happen to be selected as their their guides, their shepherds, their mentors, whatever you want to say. Like yeah, in this life, it was I think it was amazing. And then. And then they, well, go ahead. I'm oh, not well, I, I was about to ruin it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a dick joke. <laughs> no, I think you, perf- I mean, at, at least where I personally stand, I think you just perfectly summed up uh, the way, or what, uh, I'll just put it on me, why I enjoyed church so much. People can get that without going to church, and that's fine too, but I just personally, that's what I get out of it, you know, um, to not go out in too much detail about it. You know, my family was uh, faced with the prospect was six years ago. We almost lost our son. And um, we had a, just an insanely difficult journey. We were at a benefit uh, for the organizations that um, basically helped save my son's life last night. But that's, I think about that. That's why when I hear, I listen to that music of the, the church mm-hmm. band playing. And I, water works every time. I just can't yeah. help it because that's what I think about. Right. I, I look over at my wife. I think about my kid. I think about how like lucky, how fortunate, and, like you know, despite the most terrifying and difficult journey that I think that you know I, I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I still feel like one of the luckiest people in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are, dude. Yeah, yeah, both of us. Absolutely, yeah. very blessed. Woo! Should we talk about some really <laughs> awful things now? Yes. <laughs> so first off, we need to address uh, what's going on with my voice right now. I, uh, we went to this benefit, and it was uh, put on by a bunch of... Um, Smokers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they force you to chain smoke. And, uh, uh, it was like, centered around uh, wine tasting and stuff. Like I'm not a big wine drinker. I don't drink hard alcohol. Rarely do I. But something hit me the wrong way, and I woke up in the middle of the night. I all, I was just about to tell my wife, like, it was like 2.30 in the morning. I was like, I think I have to go to, like, the ER. I was in so much pain. Wow. And uh, I just had, like, acid in my throat, I felt like. And then um, finally got up, puked all over the place. Not from drinking. I wasn't spinning or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Was, and uh, huh. as soon as I puked, I felt better. But yeah. I woke up this morning. I could not talk at all. I called you earlier. I was like... We'll try to do this, dude, but I'm, I got full Barry White man voice going on. Yeah. Dude. And I think it's going to like taper off a little bit and we'll see what happens. I'm glad we're recording this. <laughs> yes. Sultry. Uh, my, my wife and son slept the whole way back. And uh, the whole time I, I was taking advantage of the voice, I was singing like old spiritual hymns. <laughs> Swing low, <laughs> sweet chariot. Another Spaceballs reference. I like it. <laughs> yes. We went out to, um, so there's, we're out in Napa County, which uh, for those of you not from California is, is famous for being wine country. Mm-hmm. You know, very, I mean, it's just vineyards all over the place. There's one back roads, that, uh, this one back road that goes out there. Which road were you on? Silverado Trail. Mm. Which I always like to take yeah. because it's really pretty. It's the only way to go. Yeah, you go over Calistoga Road over the mountain and then come through. It's this beautiful drive. And, you know, you stay off all the uh, highways and everything. And <clears throat> it's just, a, it's, it's just, a, and plus in my wife's like ripping Audi, I can like rip around, you know, in those back roads. It's really fun. They, uh, but there's no passing lanes. It's basically, it's a country road. Yep. And on the way out there, 
it, I'm so fascinated by the psychology of this. There's uh, one car. Don't get me started. Going five, five miles under the speed limit. Uh, and it, everything just kept backing up behind this car. And so we're talking like 30 miles. So that like person in that car is either oblivious to the fact that there's cars backed up behind this them. This is the conversation that my wife and I were having. Or they, they know that the people are backed up behind them, but they don't realize that that is, well... Maybe it's too strong to say against the law, but it definitely, the driver's handbook in California says that if there's five cars behind you, you are supposed to pull over. Right. Or third option, they're just a flaming fucking asshole <laughs> who wants to stick it to all these people that are in a, such a hurry. Maybe, you, and they say things like, maybe you should have left your house earlier. You should have planned better. Right. It's usually well, the first one. I'm, it's because my wife said like, what, the third. So what do you think? What do you think it's the, what do you think's the person doing this because i said like yeah. look at look look behind us at this by the time we we're getting into napa 40 cars were 40 40 like oh my i mean as far God. as the, as far as the eye could see i was like it was basically we're in a parade here at this point following this one per- by the way wild guess what was the Freeze. car uh subaru, subaru. God damn it. <laughs> Never. so close every time is uh i was like it's a middle-aged white woman Hands at 10 and 2, and just that smile on her face, just like oblivious to everything is all mm. right. Just that kind of like half smile. I'm like, guessing no dig, inner dialogue. <laughs> no inner dialogue. Happy as can be. <laughs> so we, we were driving on Silverado uh, Silver Trail, going out there to Napa, and then um, something might pop in my brain. I'm like, Silverado Trail, like why is that like sticking in my head right now? And I remember hearing something... Um, in the news about it. Here's a headline. Napa County homeowner fights back after being stabbed by intruder arrest made. This happened on Silverado trail just this week huh. is, um, Andrew Dixon, 33 went onto this guy's property and stabbed the property owner. 61 year old guy went out there and like, what are you doing on my property? Guy freaked out, stabbed him. The 61 year old guy pulled the knife out of his back and stabbed him back and held him down until the cops got there. Oh, did he rape him? Also? <laughs> no, no, we're not in Australia. Take it easy. <laughs> and I read that story. I was like, why, why is, why is this road like sticking in my head? And so oh I pulled God. it up on my phone. I'm like, Oh yeah, I just heard that story. So Funny. hats off to you, sir. That yes. is an Amer I can. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's play some patriotic music and post on that. Also, Another thing popped in my brain, and this will be only interesting to you and I. There is, like I said, it's just vineyards and wineries the entire way, and including this one vineyard who, that was established in 1994. Uh, they are known for their Zinfantel from their 100-year-old vines from Napa's Corte Vineyard and blended it with Duckhorn Vineyards, own estate, Cabernet Sauvignon, and they, they have they've made this like special blend that mm-hmm. became world famous. Uh-huh. One of the name of this winery. Uh you're gonna love this. No one else will, but you're gonna love this. All right, let's hear it. Paradox Winery. It's Paradox. Paradox. I was gonna say Paradox. <laughs> yes. I had a feeling. I drove by them all. <laughs> Paradox! Paradox. Oh shit. Like I, sweetness. You gotta hear the story. This I drive great. by that every day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't drive by that without thinking of that bar in Boonville. <laughs> you feel like paying that off? Nah, let's do a okay. story for another day. Okay. <laughs> Think about it every time because I have a job out there. Okay. Right now, so I drive by that every single day. Yeah. Dude, there's a, uh, do you know, you know where Yountville is? Yeah. 
So that happens also be where uh, French Laundry mm-hmm. is located. Is that the same restaurant that uh, Gavin Newsom dined at while we were all locked down? His kids were attending private school in person, and he had a big dinner there. Well, it was an early dinner. Oh, it was an early dinner. Yeah, but yeah, that's... We all fall short. Yeah. Yeah, We all make (laughs) mistakes. No, 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 no. No, motherfucker. (laughs) Talking about you there. If I fall short, I go to jail. So let's, you know, you need to pay that one off with some fucking... Nah, I can't say the... Can I say blood, or would that get us in trouble? I don't know. We're already getting kicked off everything, so yeah. I think we I just don't want anyone showing up to my house. Right. Um, so there's this coffee shop there mm-hmm. that I stopped at a couple of times. And the second time, the first time, it's always these same two girls working there. And the first time I was there, they were both really friendly and nice to me and kind of, you know, dare I say flirtatious. Mm-hmm. Um. And then the second time I went in there, I had my America fuck yeah hat on. Uh-huh. And I noticed with one of the girls didn't seem to really care. The other one, it, you could see it in her face. Like she's smiling at me, looks at my hat, and then the smile just totally leaves her face. <laughs> and I was like, and I didn't, I forgot that I had the hat on. So I was kind of like, well, that was a little weird. And then I realized, oh, like she. And so I started thinking like, this is like the most liberal coffee shop yeah in california this like rivals any sort i've never had that kind of experience and where we live is pretty left leaning right right? i've never had that much of a just full-on shutdown and so now it's become like for me like a game like i go in there with the most offensive shirts possible (laughs) (laughs) so i had my uh Liberty Tree shirt on that you can get at LibertyTreeLifestyle.com the, with the pistol on it. Yeah. And sure enough, I go in there, just total mean mug from this chair. Yeah. So, like, their coffee isn't even that good, but now I make it a point. I got to go by there just <laughs> to kind of troll them with my T-shirts. <laughs> you willingly making your life more difficult. Oh, it's <laughs> fun. Just to prove a point. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. All right. Well. Enough of that. Let's let's really bring people down. What do you got? So uh, let's walk out our front door for a second, as we always say. Okay. And um, did you see... Okay, first off, let's do this. Did you see that lumber on my truck when you walked in? Yes, I did. I have... Nice uh, lumber. Yeah. Four 16-foot pieces of 1 by 10 pre-primed cedar for the outdoor kitchen. It's the fascia board for my kitchen. 1 by 6. One by six. 16 feet. No, one by 10, 16 footers, four of them. Okay. You want to guess how much I paid for that? And it's the prime cedar? Yeah. Primed finger red cedar. Joining. Yeah, finger joining. How many pieces again? Four. Four 16 footers. I'm going to say $180. Uh, Try again. 270 Nope. Try again. $500. $450. Goo! <laughs> yes. Ouch. If it wasn't already loaded in my truck. Oh, my God. They, they rank because you you load it up and you go in there and like, yeah, it'd be $453. I was like, whoa. I have a feeling if, you're going into a conversation that has something to do with inflation. Yes. So let me just <clears throat> interject this really quickly. Last night we were watching Point Break, as mm-hmm. one does when it's available. Mm-hmm. And my favorite scene in that movie is when they're kind of staking out the bank and uh, Gary Busey says to Johnny Utah, Utah, give me two. (laughs) So he's saying like, I want two meatball subs. So 
Keanu Reeves' character goes over to the uh, food right. truck or whatever it is. Yeah. He gets two meatball subs, another sandwich, and two lemonades. Mm-hmm. Guess how much they say that that costs? It was like $5. (laughs) $7.30. The wife and I are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because that would have been, at the time, if that number was incorrect, you would have, that would have kind of hurt the movie, right? Right. So they made it a point to make that correct. It was probably cheap at the time. Yeah. But still, how much would that cost today? Oh, you're $30. You're paying $7 for the lemonade. <laughs> Three <laughs> sandwiches and two lemonades, easily 30 bucks. Yeah. So that means that the inflation on that, and they, you know, when they calculate inflation, they don't include a lot of different, like housing doesn't factor in, right. which is stupid. Um, oh, you're going to work with them. The next thing that I have here. That's an f- inflation of <laughs> 400%. Yeah. In what? That came out in like the 90s, like yeah. in 30 years. I got to say the best part, the best scene in uh, Point Break is when they all are sharing the same wave and then his buddy pulls his pants down and BAs him just showing him his bare ass. Yeah. And, there's this, and right after that, the next cut is Patrick Swayze holding his fist up going, yeah! Mary yeah! back then going like, oh, that was kind of weird. <laughs> kind of a little too excited about that. <laughs> so I mean, he probably was, thought it was weird too when... We saw the movie. Like, saw the you, edited, edit. you edited it. You edited that way. <laughs> like, you gotta take that scene out. We we just we already set it off. Yeah. I'm to tell you. It's like ah, whatever. Makes me look really weird. I uh, knew Paul Paul Krugman is yes yes uh, American economist and economist columnist for the New <laughs> York Times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, briefly worked for the uh, Reagan administration. He is taught at. Harvard, Yale, MIT, London School of Economics. Um, staunch defender of Biden economics. He is the mouthpiece. The, Bidenomics? Yeah, Bidenomics. He's the guy coming out saying it's working. Like it's combating oh, yeah. inflation. Yeah. So it's funny how no one can tell why everyone feels poor. And- right. Because be, what, I, what I thought of as I saw this right after I paid for that lumber, I was like, holy hell. And uh, Bidenomics I, is working, Matt. I paid and you know, given we're in California here, but gas is what, six, $6, 20 cents a gallon, like yeah. right around there. Something like that. I think in LA it's seven something. Yeah. And you read these articles in the New York times and they're saying like, Nope, Bidenomics is working. Mm-hmm. It's combating. We're not, we're actually not even really, there's no recession and we're not feeling the yeah. effects of inflation. And we talk about like, well, you walk out your front door. I'm like, I, I really feel, really feel like I am. And everyone I talk to, you know, says the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I went to Friday night. I grabbed two steaks and some beer and a piece of fish for dinner. And it was like 98. I don't look at the prices of things. It's 98 bucks. Good God. Yeah. Like half bag of groceries, almost a hundred, wow. almost a hundred dollars. And then I bought this lumber, bought the gas and, what we call you walk at your front door. I'm like, I, it's just, things seem incongruent. There's this narrative that I'm being given from the acceptable, you know, opinions from the mainstream mouthpieces. And they don't seem to jive with like what I'm experiencing, you know, with what's going on in reality. Totally. And what, remember we had talked about before is like a lot of the stuff we're kind of looking at some like that, um, you know, kind of like the emperor 
has no clothes. Like we need you to not yeah, exactly. Believe, we need you to not believe your own eyes. Totally. It's like what, and we're gonna get into that today. And that's a you know mm-hmm. they've done a really good job in getting people to just kind of be programmed to do that. Right. You know, if unless oh what are you're not a Trump supporter, are you? No, no, God no. Well then guess what? The economy is just <laughs> then, then stop bitching fine. about how expensive yeah. everything is. <laughs> so Paul Krugman came out this week on the economy. Uh, claiming that the war in inflation has been pretty much won. That's from Business Insider and MSN. And the Washington Examiner, he called the economy is surreally good. And here's a quote from him. The striking the surreal part is correct. (laughs) Yeah. The striking thing, if you look at it, it's just, you know, the the economic data has been surreally good. I mean, even optimists are just stunned by how quickly and how painlessly inflation has come down. You know, no hint of recession, at least so far, never know. But so far, inflation is not too far from the target of 2% and under 3% by most measures. All of that just achieved painlessly. So then you go like, okay, let's walk out our front door. Does that statement make sense with what myself and everyone I know is experiencing, you know, out in the wild? Uh, No. You walk out your front door or you flip on point break. So (laughs) So you do a little digging and let's take a look at this surreally good economy. Currently, 61% of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Full-time employment has fell in each of the two monthly reports by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Part-time employment has surged. And with a new record number of Americans working two or more jobs just to make ends meet, inflation has risen by more than 17% since 2021. All monthly economic leading indicators have declined for 16 straight months. Personal household saving rates has declined to 3.5%, a level that we have not seen since the financial crisis in 2008. Americans are currently holding record-level credit card and auto loan balances, and inflation-adjusted average income has dropped once again in 2022 by 2.3%. This is the third straight year it's fallen. You go like, Bidenomics. Hmm. What happened three years ago? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, well, someone, someone is not correct here. What was the quote? Because we we see this a lot. I'm trying to. I don't think I have a. a video clip of it but there was a quote about something like that where the current administration what they do is celebrate all of the gains that they've made since the total devastation of our society right that's look how great we're doing like compared to what well compared to when we locked everyone in their homes yeah over this so when you hear kjp come out it's like we just added three hundred thousand new jobs the economy well Mm -hmm. yeah but you put we shut the entire world down. Yeah. Like giving people their jobs back is not adding. Right. I mean, technically you're right. You did add some jobs, to the economy, right. But five years ago, like we're, it's abysmal failure at this point. And it's so easy to trick people with the numbers too. Cause like inflation, for example, is cumulative, mm-hmm. meaning like, like things, eggs cost more. Everything costs more today than they did yesterday. And in two weeks, they're going to cost even more. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're saying inflation is down to like 3%, it's like, yeah, but what about all the months that it was at like 15%, mm-hmm. even if they're right, which they're not about the way it's judged. It's yeah. like, no, but three sandwiches and two lemonades used to cost $7 and 38 cents <laughs> back in 1997. <laughs> like, what about all that change? No, no, inflation is down. Cause when people hear that you're lying to them in a sense, because what they, when they hear inflation is down, they think, Oh, Prices have come back down. Mm-hmm. No, they're just not as out of control as they were six months ago. Yeah. And they're not, the, the costs aren't increasing as fast as they were. They're still increasing. Right. So I tried to 
put my fairness hat on and be fair. So then you have one I, of those. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen it. It was way back in the back of the closet Very. there under a bunch of shit. Um, so I go to Paul Krugman and I was like, okay, like what is he basing this on? Right. Cause he is the expert, right? We're supposed to listen to experts. Mm-hmm. God forbid you're not, you know, don't do your own research. No. And so I go to what his, he's saying and he's basing it on this. And I find this, he posted this on a bunch of social media. This is from Paul Krugman. An inflation update. In the past, I focused on a measure that excludes lagging shelter and used cars as well as food and energy, just to note that it adds to the evidence that inflation has largely been defeated. And he shows this graph of inflation going down. So he's cherry-picking items to show that it's going down. Right. He's admitting that, right? He's saying, when I when I add in these things, it shows that it's going down. Exactly. Because... Don't you dare look at everything. Yeah. So to recap... Just I'm going off the data that he's presenting. As long as you take out housing, gas, food, all of your utilities and your vehicle out of the equation, inflation is not really a thing. Yeah, and those things are free anyways. No one actually pays. Oh, wait, no, those are the biggest costs most people (laughs) pay. Well, that's good news because, you know, like everyone else, here I am raising a family and worrying about, like, what's what's next. And apparently I've been going about it all wrong. As long as I stop paying my mortgage, Mm -hmm. my gas, my water, uh, putting gas in my car, paying for my car that is not going to exist because it'll get repossessed, like, yeah. Inflation's not going to, oh, we're buying groceries. Inflation's not going to exist. Yeah, Netflix still costs the same. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Stay stay there on your couch and just suck up what we tell you, you fucking sponge. So there you go. Thank you very much, Paul Krugman, London School of Economics. Thanks. That's why we listen to the experts right there and we don't do our own research. And that's modern monetary policy in a nutshell. And Mm -hmm. it's wrong. And it's uh, easily proven wrong by smarter economists than him and obviously way smarter people than you and me but just look at anything that thomas soul has done mm-hmm. um in fact tom woods used to have or a peter schiff yeah yeah tom woods used to have a cruise that that he put together with um who's the guy was it uh i can't remember the other schiff uh Adam, Adam Schiff? No, <laughs> never mind. Not the other shift. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the cruise. The thinnest neck I've ever seen. <laughs> the cruise was called Contra Krugman. Oh. And it was all about, it was basically like you'd go on this cruise with, and Tom Woods would be there with um, the guy whose name I'm blanking on. And they would, it was basically like an economics kind of yeah, yeah. fun economics forum. Right. On a cruise. It sounds fucking awesome to <laughs> nerds like me. But um, have you ever read uh, Atlas Shrugged? Uh, I've read parts of it. I don't think I've read the whole thing. Ayn Rand. I remember like as a like, pretty young, actually reading through that. They made a movie of it, which was, uh, Platoon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which it's not, uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it kind of sums up the book pretty well, I yeah. think, but it'd be impossible to sum up the book completely because the, it's like this fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a 50 hour long <clears throat> audiobook. Right. So I'm listening to it right now. It's up there with a Gulag Archipelago. It's like, it's which, which is way, three, three books. It's way longer. <laughs> really? It's at least double. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it is the, it is just like, it's so sweet. I love it. Mm-hmm. I just started listening to it. It is the best. She's a good writer and it is the best like anti-socialism, anti-Marxism 
story you'll ever read. It's mm-hmm. just fucking awesome. It's like everything that you and I know and talk about in terms of economics summed up in a really just like scathing way of these yeah. like weak, spineless cowards that are taking the industries in the book and trying to nationalize them mm-hmm. because that's easier than actually having to be good at your job. Right. Which is um so, you know, that's government, right? They just they just come in and say we're going to do things this way. And uh, if you don't like it, we send men to your house with guns. And so either get on board or go to jail. And obviously all the most wealthy people in the world mm. want to get on board because they don't want to go to jail. And they realize, well, sweet, we'll get in bed in good with the government. And then no one else will be able to compete with us because yeah. they have all the guns. And that's so far the whole book in a nutshell. Yeah. It's, it's just awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ayn Rand, if I didn't say so, I would highly recommend it. Um, so we got a really good, uh, review. I was going to say review. We got a good note from a listener and if anyone feels like mailbag, yes, exactly. Uh, I'm not going to read it though. Uh, but I will address some of the stuff in it. Uh, but I really appreciated it and I, I, Corresponded with the person. I thought it was a few awesome. Times. You you forwarded it to me. Yeah. I was like, oh man, this is this is why we do this. Is so totally. we can have like conversations with like minded people. It was so cool to get a message from someone. It's like a thoughtful message and a little critique of us, which I thought was which I loved. Awesome. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, yeah. If if anyone's out there wants to send us a message, Kelly at LibertyTreeLifestyle.com. And uh, we would real, really appreciate it. Um, have you seen the movie? Have you seen that movie with... Uh, who's the guy from Donnie Darko? Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Where- also from Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Full circle. Um, have you seen the movie where he is in Afghanistan? Uh, Jarhead? No. Um, oh, he was in that, huh? He's in Jarhead. No, it's called The Covenant. Uh, Matt Ritchie's The Covenant. Matt Ritchie? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, it's about this interpreter uh-huh. that uh, helps him in Afghanistan, and uh, he feels, and then he gets kind of separated from him, and but the guy ends up saving his life in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. He makes it home, and this interpreter who was <laughs> promised visas mm-hmm. um is kind of trapped there mm-hmm. and he's one of the most wanted taliban's most wanted right people and so he's this, hiding and this is fiction you're, you're saying i know i believe it's uh yeah i believe this actually happened yeah i think this is a true story yeah well and just to kind of to your point apparently fifty thousand interpreters were promised visas by the u.s yeah. government um pretty sure they didn't all get them I'd and say so, most of them got yeah. left behind. This movie does such a good job of letting you kind of put yourself in the shoes of a normal, like regular Afghani dude. Yeah. And I, so I was watching it and I'm thinking like, if you took off the pajamas and put on like a flannel, mm-hmm. these guys, like you could see living in this town in Afghanistan. Yeah. Just a poor town. I mean, maybe 
I started thinking like maybe just like a poor town in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like this is not too far off from because I've been to some poor towns in Mexico. I've I've been I've stayed the night in houses that had no floor, they had a dirt floor. Yeah. Very, very clean dirt floor, but a dirt floor. And they make a point in the movie to kind of try to show how the average person in Afghanistan is not interested in being part of the Taliban. Right. Which kind of makes sense intuitively, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember last week when I asked you, do you think Afghanistan could have been better off if right, yeah. Russia had won mm-hmm. their, if, you know, if the U.S. hadn't beaten Russia in mm-hmm. the Afghani war? Yeah. I mean, it's not inconceivable to think that it it could be a better situation in Afghanistan if Russia had actually conquered Afghanistan and, you know, brought some sort of colonization to Afghanistan. Mm. That's not inconceivable. I'm not saying that I think that probably would have happened. It's just not inconceivable. It's also not inconceivable to think that had Russia never bothered to invade Afghanistan in the first place, that they might be better off. Right. Um, did you ever see the movie, uh, just to sidetrack onto another movie, <laughs> Charlie Wilson's War? No. With Tom Hanks? No. He plays this senator who I guess was instrumental in getting to arming the Mujahideen. Yeah, I'm familiar with what it is. But okay. Yeah. Well, the end of the movie, so he bends over backwards to get uh, stinger missiles and all these this equipment to the Mujahideen in order to get them to be able to defeat the Russians. Mm-hmm. Right? He goes through the CIA and he breaks a bunch of laws and he does a bunch of shady shit and he's just... Really? I know. Do you believe it? <laughs> um, but it's all for the greater good, right? Because we need to beat the Russians. We can't possibly let them... Yeah. Uh, colonize this poor country, Afghanistan, that we all obviously care so much about. Right. Um, well, at the end of the movie, he, like, it's over. They've beaten the Russians. But then he brings up this point, like, hey, we have all these, like, armed, you know, 17-year-old to 25-year-old men in this kind of war-torn country. Like, we should do something to bolster their infrastructure, like, build schools and, like, you know, yeah. give something back to these people and everyone's like mm, not interested right which shouldn't be shocking right yeah we're interested in war we're not interested yeah. in, in peace it is easy to sell the war good luck selling peace right now this we just spent 20 years there uh defeating the taliban to give the country back to the taliban yeah and they're no much way. way worse off than they ever have been exactly in the history of that country exactly and that, that's kind of my point right like the, the taliban got- is so much stronger than they ever were Ukraine's different though. We got this one nailed. <laughs> Even the movie Charlie Wilson's War, it's like they, they spent the whole movie on the war part. Yeah. And then he didn't like he didn't bend over backwards. He didn't break any rules. He didn't, you know, do anything illegal to get the schools built in Afghanistan. He did all that work. Yeah, you know, they try to make him seem like this kind of just selfless hero. Right. It's like you didn't do all that shit to try to get the schools built. You did all that shit to get all the guns yeah. to them. You didn't care either, even though they tried to make it seem like he You're cared. You're the world's no. greatest asset for the military industrial complex. Yeah. That's what that movie is about. Yeah, exactly. And so look at the, yeah, exactly. So the, And then the America, America becomes the biggest uh, recruiter for the Taliban that, that the Taliban could ever hope for. Well, we didn't arm them, though. I'm oh, yeah, sure we, we did, yeah. yeah. I guess we did, yes. And so I'm looking at the, I'm watching this movie, which is it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. Um, and I'm thinking about... Mexico, because I know Mexico pretty well. I lived there for a while. It's right next door to us here in California. And um, I'm thinking, like, it's a very 
good parallel would be these Mexican drug cartels that are taking over in Mexico. Mm -hmm. They're very similar to the Taliban. Right. They're like a, a quasi-governmental... Warlords. Organization. Yeah. Warlords. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, they have a lot more power than the government there. I would say that's correct. And most of the people that live there don't want anything to do with them, just like the Taliban. Yeah. And I'm thinking like... They just do what they have to do to not run afoul of them. Like, well, there's this entity here. Exactly. And I try to minimize it in my life, you know, because they're out of fear. They're extremely for the, brutal. For the safety of me and my family. Yeah. They do terrible things and they do, um, they do it in the name of make, I mean, what, what's their main motivation? Like money and power and control. Money, right? Yeah. The Taliban, I think comes across to us as being worse because they do it for religious reasons as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And we look at like, it's really bad that you know, you look at the scene. If you if you took everyone's pajamas off and you put on like normal, like a t-shirt or something, like it could easily be Mexico. Right. Except for the fact that you don't see any women on the streets in this movie. Yeah. Which, which is probably kind of accurate yeah. in Afghanistan. Um, and which is kind of fucked up, right? Like women don't have a lot of rights in Afghanistan. Um, although you also don't see them chemically castrating children and <laughs> so you know it's, I was, pick your it's poison. so funny <laughs> like, there's all these jokes running through my head and you're talking about the taliban the drug cartels and i'm like you easily could be talking about the american government right now in the military industrial complex it's like they're super scary they do awful shit they go into other you know they're just completely obsessed with power and control and money yeah and you know and going into other places and expanding their regime same thing yeah. Yep. So as I'm thinking about this, um, it strikes me that like these are also the, these these cartels are kind of um, playing. They're playing a hand in what's happening with the uh, illegal immigration that's happening mm -hmm. in America. And oh, I don't yeah. know. I would say that it's probably worse. Illegal immigration right now is probably happening at a far greater rate than it's ever happened yeah. before, right? Right. I and mean, that's not, maybe since uh, like 1492. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you hear that uh, Greg Abbott down in Texas declared a, uh, an emergency right. about the invasion Yes. So this is his, uh, he wrote this letter to, to President Biden. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. The U.S. Constitution won ratification by promising the states in Article 4, Section 4, that the federal government, quote, shall protect each of them against invasion, unquote, by refusing to enforce the immigration laws enacted by Congress, including USC 1325, criminal prohibition against aliens entering the United States between authorized ports of entry, your administration has made clear that it will not honor that guarantee. The federal government's failure has forced me to invoke Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, thereby enabling the state of Texas to protect its own territory against invasion by the Mexican drug cartels. Um, and I know it sounds like You can just hear the the people that we know who are much to the left of us claiming that this is a form of racism. 
Oh yeah. Right. That's the go-to. It, that is the only argument against him doing that. Yeah. If it was a bunch of Canadians. That's how we said it. Like when we, we did those side-by-side NPR articles on the last episode, it's like, there's this crazy right wing conspiracy that they're trying to make us eat bugs. And right. then a couple of months later, it's like the conspiracy, the, the people that are pushing up against eating bugs, this is about as racist as you think. And we, we just joked about it. Like, yeah, that's, that's the card they play. It's, I, I don't agree. Just call them a racist. It's easy. Like this is not rocket science. Yeah. Well, the, uh, that idea uh, that we are trading in uh, the, the white replacement conspiracy theory, that's not us. That is the people on the left that have, are, are mainly responsible for that theory. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Tucker Carlson did something recently <clears throat> on his show where he was pointing out how Democrats specifically... Um, that is, people on the left left who've been elected to public office mm-hmm. have been the ones promoting this theory. Right. All we're saying is like, look, just listen to them. So I put together this little compilation of all the clips I could find of people talking about this. Go. It's changing. It's going to become cool a purple state and then a blue state because of the demographics. The demographics of America are not on the side of the Republican Party. The new voters in this country are moving away from them. An unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who are Caucasian of European descent, for the first time in 2017, will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. So our message to the world is: send us your people, Kathy send us Hochul. those who need the uh, the cloak of comfort that we can demonstrate as New Yorkers with big hearts and open arms, and we'll provide a safe haven. New York, Absolute huh? minority. <laughs> Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. It's because of concerns of how Republicans might react, Watch this. you would say what? I would say this. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. <laughs> uh, that one guy looked like uh, Joe Biden. Was that Joe Biden? That the was Joe Biden, the president. Is, is he the one that came out uh, about a decade ago and said that he didn't want his kids growing up in a racial jungle? Yes. Is that the same guy? I, I think he said that when he was opposing busing into uh, black schools. Okay. Is he the one that did the 1994 crime bill that disproportionately put uh, people of color in jail? Well, it wasn't or, just him. It was just also Strom. Strom Thurmond? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Avowed racist. Avowed <laughs> racist, yeah. <laughs> okay. I- interesting. Okay. And so, uh, do, you, do you remember John Rocker? Pitcher for the Atlanta oh, yeah. Braves? Yeah, yeah. So back in 1999, Sports Illustrated did this uh, interview with John Rocker, and it got him into a ton of trouble. In fact, I remember this. He had it happened today, he just would have been kicked off the team. But uh, back then, you could still get away with some shit. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was the character Kenny Powers? Uh, Eastbound and Down was based on John Rocker. I think. Oh, really? I think so. Okay, so I'm going to read you what he said in the Sports Illustrated article okay. right now, and then I'm going to contrast that 
with Mayor Eric Adams. Tell me if you see a difference. <laughs> okay. In 1999, Sports Illustrated asked John Rocker of the Atlanta Braves if he would ever consider playing in New York. His response made him a pariah in Major League Baseball. I feel like we just have some like music playing while I read this. I'd retire first. It's the most hectic, nerve-wracking city. Imagine having to take the seventh train to the ballpark, looking like you're riding through Beirut, next to some kid with purple hair, next to some queer with AIDS, <laughs> right next to some dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. I remember this. I mean, does that sound, apart from, there's kind of a little like slur in there with the queer with AIDS mm -hmm. part, but apart from that, he could easily be, he could be Eric Adams saying that exact same thing uh -huh. right now. The purple hair. I mean, that's like, like a <laughs> meme from our day. The biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners. You can walk an entire block in Times Square and not hear anybody speaking English. Asians and Koreans and Vietnamese and Indians and Russians and Spanish people and everything up there. How the hell do they get into this country? Okay, a little clunky with the wording, but... That was 1999, you know, what are you going to do? All right, so uh, that was him. Now let's hear Mr. Eric Adams... Turned this city around in 20 months. And then what happened? Started with a madman down in Texas, decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care, and this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. Interesting. Racist. <laughs> Fucking racist. <laughs> So what is, what, I'm not guessing, I'm not asking you to answer for Eric Adams, but what's his solution? Everything he just complained about, that, well, Texas should just deal with it. They should just stay in Texas. Yeah, notice That's how his he, solution. yes, that is his solution. That's what <clears throat> Kathy Hochul is saying. That's Aren't what they the not, Californians are they not are a saying. sanctuary city? They are. They said, come one, come all. No, they've had enough though. That's, okay. We're no longer open for business. So where are they supposed to go? I love that they just think that it's Texas's problem. Yeah. As if like being a border town somehow blesses you with all of the resources needed to deal with people coming over the border illegally. The, the, uh, the hypocrisy of this is maddening. It is. It, it, it comes back though, because you and I tend to look at these issues and um, sometimes it's hard for us to get excited by things, mm -hmm. especially like politics, because right. we just we see that it's done for entertainment value a lot of times. Yeah. It's just think, meant to pit people against each other. I think other. they pay that off a lot, a bit, is that, you know, we talk about, you know, when I hear people talking about, like, presidential polls, of like Trump versus Biden or, you know, 
Ravek, Ravek, Ramaswamy, or whoever it is, and you see the difference between like Greg Abbott and Eric Adams. I'm like, I just, or you, the the clip you play, played before, right, of uh, changing the demographics from Democrat to Republican, and I think we're the other way around. But yeah, 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 it's like where we get lost. I'm like, I what, like what's what's the difference? Like I, I just, it's all bread and circuses to me. It's mm-hmm. sports. It's like, you're just, you're watching a basketball game at this point. And it's like, do you think Demo- like neither everyone wants to poke the world's biggest world, you know, nuclear superpower into a world war right yeah. right now in Ukraine. All of them want to grow the budget. Like we just added $33 trillion or like we're th- at $33 trillion for our national debt. No one wants to scale back the size of the government. It's all the same thing. Like it doesn't matter. It, I don't know. I, it's, I get so frustrated with the people that get in like into this tribal, like binary war about like R versus D or yeah. red versus blue. It, they're all the fucking same people. Like we need to get rid of all of it. Yes. I think that our enlightened perspective on this puts us at a bit of a disadvantage though. Right. Because we would rather not play this game, mm-hmm. but that is the game that we're being we're going to be forced to play. And I, in my response um, to the uh, listener who wrote in, he he wanted us to talk about uh, white replacement mm-hmm. theory, and so that's why I kind of dug this stuff up. Um, you especially. And me also, but especially you, um, and we've talked about this. You can see the there's a there's a wave out in the ocean that is tribalism that mm-hmm. is slowly coming into shore. And like a tsunami, when it's way out deep in the ocean, it doesn't look like a different wave than other waves. Right. But when it gets to shore, it is going to wreak total Be devastation. A motherfucker. Yeah. And this game of tribalism that we are being expected to play and forced to play. And, uh, you know, it, it is in a very severe way, uh, dividing our country up and, um, causing problems that might take generations to, to solve. If we're lucky, if ever. Yeah. That's the game that's being played right now, and I think that you have a uh, awareness of that. It's very acute, and don't want to contribute yeah. to that by even discussing mm-hmm. these issues. And I I understand that, and I, I agree with you on that. I think, um, however, it is it is happening in a way that is like physically. Like it is actually happening with every person that crosses the border. The Democrats who are in power and are wielding power and able to control things like people coming across the border are actively doing it on purpose in order to create this tsunami out there and, and bring it ashore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what's the solution? You know, don't talk about it, kind of. But um, the, the solution is not contribute to it. Mm-hmm. The solution isn't like get your guns and start going and defending, you know, your border. I mean, it's a it's a tricky line to try and walk because it's it's once you realize that it's being done, it's completely coordinated and being done intentionally to divide us. And then so to address it, you're like 
it's like the guy who walks in the bar and, and you know is looking for a fight. You're like, well, okay, ignore him. Mm-hmm. Or it's like I'm I'm gonna have to address this eventually because yeah. obviously he has my number for like whatever reason, and it's gonna happen. So maybe I just address this now. And it's funny because you and I are preparing for that day and trying hard not to contribute to it at the same time. Yes, it's a it's a tricky dance, for sure. It's uh, we're not gonna get to what I was gonna talk to <laughs> talk about today, which is which is fine. It means we're going to do two podcasts this week. All right. Be great. <laughs> but it very much is centered around that topic is that we are intentionally being pitted against each other. And to just do like a brief kind of overview is I thought Dave Smith, um, when he went on Joe Rogan for the first or second time, and basically he was there to pitch libertarianism. And, but one thing that he did, and I thought he did it very well is he talked about, this division and like, why is it happening? And it seems to be being done in concert. Like it seems to be coordinated. And he talked about, uh, he drew a metaphor. He's like one of the, one of the most poignant points in our culture was the occupy, the occupy wall street movement. Yeah. That's when the tea party and Antifa and the working man and the, you know, the construction worker and the bike messenger and the hippie and everyone were on the same side of the street saying we are the 99%. They all had this realization. Like, we're getting fucked here. Like, explain to me. So you take our money and it goes to the Federal Reserve. Most people erroneously believe that the Federal Reserve is connected to the government. It's not. The Federal Reserve is run by 12 private, privately owned banks. Mm-hmm. It's, on, it's on private land and it's not beholden to any federal well, the, regulations. Except that it's allowed to operate uh, at the pleasure of the government yes they could there's a board take of, away their of, charter. of elected people that sit on, a, on i think it's made up of 16 people something like that but the federal reserve is privately owned yeah so it's privately owned bankers taking our money and then starting in 1971 said you know what we're not going to base this on anything t- tangible like we're going to arbitrarily just start printing money we're up to 33 trillion dollars in debt right now we're going and what people don't make that connection is that Every time that they put another trillion dollars or send another $300 billion to Ukraine or whatever it is, or give you that stimulus, you give everyone a stimulus check for $1,600, that's just, you are paying for that through inflation. Like it's just devaluing, devaluing the currency. Your money is worth, every time we do that, your money is worth less and less and less. And so now I am paying $450 for four sticks of lumber to put in my house or almost a hundred dollars for a half sack of groceries or when you're paying seven dollars a gas seven dollars a gallon for gas in in los angeles right now is that is being done to control and manipulate you that's the mechanism for control is our fiat currency like they're literally sucking the energy they're like you are basically being harvested like cattle your energy is being harvested and it's not harvested like we're taking the meat from you although the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't if we don't buy into this whole fucking alien thing. Yeah, <laughs> that might be the next thing that they trot out in front of buy us. Buy into it just for <laughs> self preservation. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> but that is the mechanism for which you know they control the population. And when that Occupy Wall Street thing came along, um, and, and and the banks, you know, the hedge fund managers, the bankers, the people running the Federal Reserve private families, by the way, look down and go like, eh, this is not good. Like everyone, everyone's kind of uniting against us. And so if you can look at 
graphs of media of like when um, mentions of like racism, white supremacy, gender ideology. It's like they sold, they broke up that rally with woke culture, with calls yeah. of racism and the white supremacy. And, you know, all of a sudden JP Morgan Chase, you know, sponsors a, a float in the gay pride parade mm-hmm. and it broke everyone up. They're like, it pitted everyone back against each other. Right. That, that divisiveness, that war, just like, you know, this constant, like we're on the verge of a race war, for yeah. example, is being done intentionally. 100%. And so that's what the tricky thing is. It's like, we could address it, it's very obviously happening and it's getting worse and worse and worse every year. Yeah. It's like, but if you address it, like, am I contributing to it? Cause like, I want this whole thing to end. Correct. And it's being done intentionally. Yeah. I was going to say that like, because we, we train mm-hmm. for violence mm-hmm. in more than more ways than one. Um, but at the same time, we are the last people that want to see violence take place. Everything we believe stems from the non-aggression principle. Exactly. Never do harm to another human being. Right. However, when that day comes, we want to be prepared for that, but we want to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that we didn't, we weren't the ones that brought this on. What what do they say? um, Be the warrior in the garden, not the gardener in the war. (laughs) I've heard it, but something like that. I keep hearing that. Why is that? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, well, it's no shocker that, you know, that's the reason that gun control is always on the minds of politicians. That is step number one. Is, it's because is they can't the handle. Public. Yeah. It's also the reason why, like, when you hear, you know, quotes, eyebrow quotes, conspiracy theorists talk about the immigration problem. They always say military age men are coming across the border because right. the vast majority of people that are coming are young men. Yeah. Right. Now there could be plenty of reasons for that. Um, but the reason that they bring it up is because it is scary Yeah. that the people that you are thinking you may have to expel from our country, they're not like little old ladies. Yeah. They're not children. They're men that will provide some sort of resistance if, if they have to. And it's, that's not lost on the powers that be either. So we, we pray that that doesn't happen. Um, and we pray that we can solve this problem peacefully the way that, you know, the way that the, uh, Occupy Wall Street movement organically naturally came out of nowhere and galvanized an entire country against what was actually happening. You know how I talk sometimes about um, the movie, The Matrix? Mm -hmm. And it resonates with people, I think, because everyone knows in the back of their head that the world that we're living in is mostly bullshit. Mm -hmm. That a lot of the stuff that we're told that is for our good is actually for the good of corporations or... Oh, you're going to like our next next episode. (laughs) (laughs) This, the Occupy Wall Street movement broke through all that shit and everyone said, no, enough. Like, you're pissing on my head and telling me it's raining. Yeah. The be- the best way that I heard put about how they disbanded the Occupy movement is what was the rallying cry for the Occupy movement? We are the 99%. We are the 99%. And it took the power brokers, the people, that 1%, the people that were being yelled at by the 99%, manipulated the media, media privately funded the police, Citibank, 
was was the bank to do go down there and break up that riot because the cops weren't going to do anything because the cops are part of the 99 percent is they privately hired security to basically go through their chicago style and just start fucking fucking people up and breaking up that riot mm-hmm. and then they turned around and manipulated the propaganda and the way they disbanded the the culture cultural idea of we are the 99%. It's like, no, you're not the 99%. You're the 13%. You're the 13% and you're the 7% and you're the 2% and you're the fucking 8%. Mm-hmm. You're the 1% and you're the 20%. And you guys all are at war with you each other. You hate each other. Yeah. And they sat back there with Don't their arms you? folded and go like, have at it. Let's see a fight. So just to kind of bring it around full circle, your concept of not addressing this idea of well, this uh, racism, let's just say, mm-hmm. um, is essentially saying, no, we're not the 13% and the 6%. We are the 99%. Mm-hmm. We are united against the fuckers that are actually trying to destroy us. <laughs>